0: All right, turn with me to Acts 21, verse 27 through 32. Acts 21, verses 27 through 32 is where we're going to start. And I know you're probably thinking, that's not our passage. I know it's not our passage. We will get to our passage. Uh, but I want to start there because far too often, uh, Bible readers, when we read the Bible, when we study the Bible, we see things in in scripture that will say Gentiles and Jews. Or reading in the New Testament, we see Gentiles and Jews were in the church together, and we think, ah, not that big of a deal. Just two different people groups of different backgrounds, but they're in the church together, and we don't think much of it, but we, and we underestimate the historical hostility between those two people groups, between Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews. And therefore, we don't grasp the next to impossible thing it is to have Jews and Gentiles within the same church believing the same thing. That was pretty much impossible thing to do apart from Christ. And I want us to get a better understanding of that because once we do, then we will have a a better grasp of our passage that we're going to spend our time in today in Ephesians 2.11. But let's start there in Acts and get to know... Exactly what this hostility was all about. And seeing a great example of this, it says this, Acts twenty-one twenty-seven says, When the seven days were almost completed, Jews from Asia, seeing him, Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks, Gentiles, into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul brought him into the temple. Then all of the city, this is how they responded, all of the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut, and as they were seeking to kill him, all because they supposed he brought someone into the temple, a Gentile, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took the soldiers and the centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. They were beating Paul. Beating Paul. And then you, you, you glance down at verse 36 at the very bottom, it says, For the mob of people followed, crying out, Away with him! Away with him! And so all of this is primarily because Paul, they supposed, he brought a Gentile into the Holy Temple. So you see, you see this division already that they're willing to kill Paul because a Gentile stepped foot into the Holy Temple temple. If you think about the the current day of our our, our Ephesians passage that we're in, again, the, the Jerusalem temple is still around. And so the Jerusalem temple was the, the, the Mecca, the holy place, the holy grail of, of, of all worship of the old covenant, right? Everybody went to the Jerusalem temple. And if you go to this Jerusalem temple, then they would have these walls. And so you could only get to a certain point. So, like women could only get to a certain point and then they would have a wall that would block them from getting any further. And then Gentiles could get to a certain point and then they would have a wall that would block them from any further. And if you went beyond that, then your life was on the line. Matter of fact, here was a temple warning inscription that they had at the Jerusalem temple. This is what it said No foreigner is to enter within the forecou- forecourt and the balustrade around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught, if you're caught, entering beyond that wall will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. So you're going to die if you are a Gentile stepping foot into a certain territory of the temple that you weren't supposed to be in. So you see, there's a complete separation of Jews and Gentiles that oftentimes we don't read. There's a whole bunch of hostility between these two parties. Death. A lot of people died because they crossed the line of Jew and Gentile that they were not supposed to cross. What you and I need to understand as we read this 2,000 years away that the hostility between Jews and Gentiles, it it was great. But there's an even greater, far greater hostility between us and God apart from Jesus Christ. There's a far greater hostility. And while non-Christians certainly don't get this hostility that they have between them and God, Christians sometimes fail to understand it as well when we're not as grateful as we should be for what the the, the blood of Christ has done for us, the hostility that's been abolished through the blood of Christ. And we, we take it for granted sometimes because we continue to sin more and more and more and more and more, not realizing what the blood of Christ did how it gave us peace between not only all people that were around, other Christians, but it gave us peace, more importantly, with God. We need to understand this hostility and and see it based on our passage. And Paul tells us as we get into our passage in Ephesians 2 that the hostility was strong. He he, matter of fact, he points us back to where we once were. So let's go ahead and turn there as we're going to read it. Uh, But Paul does much of what he did in the first part of chapter 2, in 1 verses 3, where he pointed back to say, hey, remember who you were. Remember the bad news. Remember this is where you were headed apart from Christ. Remember the bad news. But then he said, but God, right? God's intervention, only by God's grace, are things different. Well, he does something similar here, but he's not talking about the individual salvation. He's not talking about individually us before God, he's saying, from a, a community standpoint, now a corporate standpoint, we were once apart from the body of Christ, we were once without God, corporately, as people. And then now he's talking how we are part of God's family, corporately, the new community that He has created. So let's pick it up in chapter two, verse 11 through 16. He says this, "Therefore remember At one time, you Gentiles, non-Jews, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. So let's take a look at those first two verses uh, for our our first point and read it with a little bit of context and commentary. He starts off by saying, therefore. So of course, therefore, he's pointing to something that he just said. Ephesians 1 through 10, he tells us that by grace we have been saved. Uh, It's God's doing. Remember, he's saying, so therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Well, what is that all about? Well, you have to go back to Genesis 17 when God made a covenant with Abraham based on the fact that he was going to bless him. He said he was going to make him exceedingly fruitful. He was going to bring many nations from Abraham, and he was going to bless his family, and he was going to give him land. In Canaan, all of that. He was going to do that, and he had a covenant with everybody that was going to come from Abraham. He made a covenant with them, and that covenant was to be shown by circumcision. Circumcision for all the males that was going to happen on the eighth day, and that would show that you were part of God's family. You were part of the covenant. He goes so far to say at the end of that passage, he says, if someone did not have, if someone was not circumcised, they did not have circumcision, then they were cut off cut off from the, God's family, cut off from the covenant promise that he gave him. So we must understand the uncircumcision. He's talking about the Gentiles, and then he calls themselves or the Jews the circumcision. But then he, he gives this line right after he says, which is made in the flesh by hands. So at the end of the day, it, it was not about the circumcision. God was wanting people to have a heart change towards him. And so they're getting so focused on the circumcision, thinking this is it. This, this shows we're with God. Where Paul is saying it, it, it wasn't about that because guess what? That, that, that's done by humans. Right? That, that's not a big deal. It was a heart change that God was after with that. And then he says in verse 12, remember. So again, the second time, remember that at that time, there were five things that were against you. You were separated from Christ. You didn't have Christ in your life. You were alienated. Right, Estranged from the commonwealth of Israel, the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Those, Those promises that God gave, they didn't pertain to you. Having no hope and without God. No hope without God. So those five things he lists, those were all against you Gentiles. That's what you had going against you. You had no hope. You had no God. At the beginning, and Paul's telling them, you need to remember that that was the case for you. Dion Sanders is a, was the face of college football at the, the beginning of the season. Kind of fell off at the end, so it got a little quiet, but uh, he was the face at one point in time. Everybody was talking about University of Colorado. Everybody was talking about what Dion was doing at that time. And whether you love Dion or or hate Dion, I remember one thing that stood out to me about him was the Hall of Fame speech that he gave when he got inducted to the NFL Hall of Fame. And he, he sat up there and he talked about his mother and the impact that she made in his life. And he, he said that she would work long hours and she would come home and she would be tired, she'd be exhausted, and she would work at these hospitals overnight and she was pushing cars and cleaning up the hospitals and doing all of this hard, laborious work so that Dion could go play football, so he could do certain things. She missed a lot of games, she missed a lot of things, she was always tired, and so he promised her, he made a commitment to her that at one point in his life, she was not going to have to work anymore that he was going to continue to work so hard and do everything that he could to get to a point to make money so his mother could retire, in a sense. And he did that, and I thought that that was unique for him because that was his driving force. He constantly remembered all throughout his college years, all throughout his his early pro years, he constantly remembered back to his driving force. He remembered his mom working hard, and that allowed him to press forward because he recalled what happened in the past. Moses did the same thing in scripture. Moses recalled constantly to the Israelites as he brought them out of Egypt. Remember what God did for us. Remember how God has seen us to remember that. Remember that God will continue to do that. He recalled, he remembered. He looked back at the past to give them fuel to move forward. So it's a biblical thing to do, and we see it oftentimes even in our own lives. But what we need to do as Christians, we need to look back on where we once were, apart from God. Not dwell on that, not look back too hard, but at the same time you look back on that to see how far God's brought you and to see where God has you now. Because once you look back and see where you were before apart from God, then you you have a sense of being reminded and being humble and being more grateful for where God has you now because you see where he brought you from. And that's point number one for us this evening. You and I need to recall that. We need to recall how godless your pre-salvation life was. Recall how godless your pre-salvation life was. Before Christ, you, you weren't in Christ's community. You weren't part of the Big C Church. You, weren't, you, you didn't have hope for the future. All of that we gain by the blood of Christ. Only through Christ can we have the new community that we have in Christ. Because prior to salvation, it was all about you being at the center. You were at the center of your life. I mean, you were the one, speaking of alienating others, you were the one alienating others from being around you. You decided who you wanted to hang around, who you wanted to be around, who you wanted to spend time with based on what they could do for you. We would build our friends based on people that we enjoyed being around, people that shared the same common interests, people that could do something for us in our career. You were on this search for fulfillment and hope. Not just any hope, but it was based on the hope that you wanted. It was driven by what you wanted in life. And so if it added up to what made sense for you in your life, then you would chase that. And it was constantly, your life before Christ was constantly on this chaotic chase of what's going to fulfill me, what's going to satisfy me in this life. And you were willing to do whatever the world led you to in order to get the world's success, in order to get money, in order to get power, in order to get those things that the world would highlight. The world was leading you. Godless pre-salvation. But Psalms 10 helps us understand even more our godless ways. So turn there, Psalm 10 verses 3 through 7, Psalm 10, verses 3 through 7, because we get a better understanding of our ways, our motives, before we were saved, before we had this new community in Christ, before we had our one centerpiece being Christ. Psalm 10, verse 3, it says, For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul. We boast about those things, those things that drive, that drove us as non-Christians. We used to boast about them. Talk about how much money you make. Talk about what job you have. Talk about the girls you had. All of those things, the desires of your soul, you boast about them. And one greedy for gain curses and renounces, right? He disrespects the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. He doesn't seek God. The wicked thinks, I got it all figured out. I, I, I don't need God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So matter of fact, I'm not worried about God because God is going to mess up my agenda. I'm worried about the things that I want to do. Verse 5, his ways prosper at all times. Your way is always better than others. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. The judgment, judgments of God, they're out of his, out of his sight. You don't care about what people are saying about judgments. It, it doesn't matter. All of that is out of your sight, far, and, and far, far away, that you're not focused on it. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. We think we're untouchable. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing. Does that ring a bell? Mouth full of cursing full of deceit and lies, full of oppression. Under his tongue are mischief, misbehavior, right, iniquity, sin, all of that. That fills our life without God, pre-salvation. In verse 11, I'll jump up there. It says, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see. That's what we think. That's, That's the view that we have that we're just on this this track, this focus uh, about our life and what we want to do with it, and guess what? There's nobody that we have to be held accountable to. But the reality is, it's what Paul tells us in Romans 2.8, he says, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be wrath and fury. So even though... We're we're godless, and we might think that we know it all. We might think that we have, you know, the the recipe for success. We might think we have all. The the reality of it is, apart from God, when we were godless, apart from Christ, pre-salvation, we were headed for wrath and fury. Wrath and fury. Only before God's intervention that changed your environment, that changed the community that you're part of, that changed the people that you hang around. We need to recall who we once were, recall how godless our pre-salvation life was more often, and we need to do it humbly. Because if we recall it and we do it humbly, then we realize how great God's love for us is, that he's taken us from this is our life godless, thinking we know it all, to placing us where we are now at peace with Christ. And here's what recalling that does for us. It reminds us, not just for ourselves, but it reminds us to be zealous for others that God has placed around us. It reminds us to not put ourselves in a position where we can say, hey, we're better than anybody. Because it's only by God's grace. And so when we recall where we were and the things that we chased in life, the godless pursuits that we had, and realize where God has brought us, then it allows us to be more zealous. It allows us to pray for others that God has placed around you. Remember we talked about that last time. God has created beforehand good works that we may walk in them. Those good works include praying for those souls that are around you. But it's easy for us to to walk away and be numb and callous to that there are non-Christians around us in our workplace that are non-Christians within our own home that we don't pray enough for because we think, nah, it wasn't that bad where I was. No, there was a lot of hostility between you and God. But only through the blood of Christ is that change. Recalling where we once were were, makes us more grateful for what God has brought us today. Back in our passage, Ephesians 2, taking a look at, Verse 13, Paul shows us now as he's telling the Gentiles who, where they once were, where they were headed, godless, without hope, apart from all the covenant promises that the Old Testament speaks of that, that had nothing to do with them. He tells them how why now they're a part of that. And there's only r- one reason why. Verse 13, but now. But now, it sounds similar to Ephesians 2 4. But God, here's the same similar breakdown. All of this is who you were, but now in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off, far off, you weren't even close. It's not like you were near to being saved, it's not like you were, God had some favor on you. There was no favor. You were far off, but because of Christ, you have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ on the cross is why you and I can be saved. In the only way we can be saved. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is. Who has made us both one. So now Jews and Gentiles, he has made us one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Remember, we talked about the dividing wall. There's was, there was a wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. There, there's, a, there's a physical wall. I don't think he's talking about that here. But there's a wall of hostility. He's broken that down. How does he do that? Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments. Use that word abolishing. You can also look at it as invalidate or, or making it to be no effect. The fact that there's rules and, and legalities and the, the Mosaic law, all that stuff. He makes that go away. The law of commandments expressed in ordinances, rules, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace. Some people center their whole life around making peace within this world. I mean, you look at it from a racial standpoint. You have people that will, will, will fight their whole life just focused on this life, on the racial divide, wherever it is. You have people that fight within politics trying to make peace. You have people that fight within social and economic classes trying to make peace. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing to to put some effort towards that, but it, it shouldn't be the main thing. That's not the main thing because at the end of the day, this earth is not the main thing. But here's the thing. When me is at the center of everything that you're doing, you're always going to be at odds with other people. You're always going to be at odds with other people. Because guess what? That other person that you're trying to make peace with, they have a me factor too. That they want what they want in life. You want something else. And you're always going to be at odds unless that me is replaced by Jesus. When Jesus becomes that centerpiece, when Jesus becomes the reason you do the things that you do, then and only then you can have peace. Because Jesus is above all of that. And guess what? His peace transcends this earth. You have peace on earth with other believers because you have the commonality of Jesus Christ and obeying what Jesus said and living for Jesus. And then you also have peace eternally because you can now stand before God the Father. And so his peace surpasses all that's going on here. And we should be grateful as Christians that we have that peace. You and I, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have that peace. We have that commonality regardless of your background or your upbringing or your nationality or or your political views or your social economic status. All of that stuff, it does not matter. You have peace in Jesus Christ. And that should bring us gratefulness and joyfulness. And that's point number two this evening is you and I need to be grateful for the unity in Christ. Be grateful for the unity in Christ. Does unity mean we agree on everything? No. No, we don't agree on everything. But we agree on the starting point. We agree that our mission is to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. We can agree on that. And then from that point in time, if there's liberties to do things differently than somebody else may do it over here, then... Eh, that might be the case, but at the end of the day, it all points up to how do we glorify Christ? How do we make sure that God gets the glory in everything that we do? There's unity in that because Christ abolished all the hostility between the Jews and Gentiles. And so it doesn't matter whether you know, you're, you're, you're black, brown, white. It doesn't matter if you, you make a lot of money, you make a little money. It doesn't matter if you got a Ph.D. or you didn't graduate from high school. Uh, none of that stuff matters. None of that matters. Because we have unity in Christ, and that's all that matters. Because that gives us peace. That gives us something that's far beyond this world. I mean, just think about this. Think about the beauty of the body of Christ. Think about the beauty of the body of Christ. Think about some of your closest friends within the body of Christ. Most of them probably wouldn't be people you would hang out with apart from Christ. But that's the beauty of it is it knocks down all of those barriers, all of those walls that we sometimes create, those fences to say, well, I only want to hang out with people if they do this. I only want to hang out with somebody if they can do this for my life. It knocks all of those down. And it says, I love Jesus. You love Jesus? Then, hey, we're going to be brothers for eternity. Brothers for eternity. There's brothers in here right now, right now, that you have deeper roots with, you have better connections with than your true brothers that you have in the flesh. Isn't that something? Now, just think about the family that you have here in Christ. Think about the men that you have sitting around the table with you in Christ. Regardless of the background, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of your bank account, we're all brothers, and we can love each other, and we have that for eternity. And that's only by the blood of Christ only by the blood of Christ. You can't manufacture that on your own accord as long as you have me at the center. It does not work. It cannot work. But the blood of Christ makes it work and allows it to happen. Colossians 3.11, here, in Christ it's not Greek and Jew. It's not circumcised and uncircumcised. It's not barbarian. It's not Scythian. It's not slave. It's not free. But Christ is all and in all. There's unity in this new community that we get through Jesus Christ. He is our center. And you and I, we need more Christian community. We need more of that as the end draws near. We shouldn't duck away from being in fellowship. We need more of it because the more and more we get a fellowship, the more and more we get encouraged, the more and more we get motivated, the more and more we get reminded of our mission by being around our other brothers in Christ, by being within Christian community, the more effective that you and I can be as salt and light out in the world. We need more of it. Jot this verse down, Psalm 30, 133, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 133, verse 1 through 3. David says this, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. How good and pleasant it is. And now he's talking about the Israelites when they're coming together for festivals and, and those things. He said how good and pleasant it is when we all get together. We all have a commonality. We all have the same focus. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. It's good and pleasant. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. Aaron, the high priest, during these festivals, they would anoint him with oil. And then he would have this this, this vest on, this breastplate that would have all the 12 tribes of Israel. And you could see this anointing just just running down in in the unity between the 12 tribes of Israel. It was a beautiful thing. And he's saying, that's what unity brings. It's running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is the, the highest Mountain in that whole entire region. It's getting a lot of rainfalls, it says, which falls on the mountain of Zion as well. So not only is the biggest mountain getting rainfall and dew, also little Mount Zion is getting it as well. It's it's, it's part of God's doing. He's blessing it over here on the big mountain. He's also blessing it here. There's unity. For the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. It's a good thing. Good thing when men are together in Christ together. It's a good thing when we are connected with the body of Christ, when we are engaged with the body of Christ, when we're serving, when we're being plugged in here. That's a good thing. And we should be grateful for that. The blood of Christ reconciles us with other believers. That's not the most important thing, the most important thing is found in verse 16. He reconciles us with God. The blood of Christ reconciles us with God. Ephesians 2.16, it ends like this, this pa- our, our passage. And might reconcile us both, Jews and Gentiles, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Again, uh, you have to go back. We have to go back and remember what happened before? Where we once were. You go all the way back to Genesis 3. There was enmity between us and God because of the sin of Adam and Eve. There's enmity for the rest of time. God, there's, there's enmity, there's hostility between us and God. It was unfixable for any man to fix. The only way it can be fixed is through the blood of Christ. And Christ did that. He solved our hostility before God. And we should be joyful that Christ has made us part of God's family. We were separated, and then through the blood of Christ, we have opportunity to be part of God's family. And once we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we repent and live for him, then we're placed in God's family. That enmity, that separation from God no longer exists, but it's only through the blood of Of Christ, And we need to be joyful for that. That's point number three for us. Write it down this way. Be joyful that Christ gives you peace with God. Be joyful that Christ gives you peace with God. Jot this verse down, Colossians 1, 19 through 22. Colossians 1, 19 through 22. This past weekend, we were in Colossians 1 over in the main service, 119. But I want to continue on through verse 22. Paul says this in this parallel passage to Ephesians. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated, separated, estranged, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds—that's who we were, that's what we were doing— he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Just a great reminder. We can't read that enough. We can't hear that enough, that it's only by God's grace. It's only through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for you and me. It was our blood, that, our, our, our sins that kept him there on the cross Think about that. That, that, That's that's what kept him on the cross is our sins. He died for our sins so that you and I can stand before a holy God and be seen with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need to be joyful about that because prior to that, we were at enmity with God. There was hostility between us. Everybody wants peace in the world, but only Jesus brings peace. Everyone longs for that. Everybody longs for peace. They wish peace was there. That is one of those things that, that God puts on, on the hearts of, of, of all mankind. We, we all want peace. We all seek after peace. Our whole life we want to seek peace in, in, in every aspect of life. But there's only one way, through Jesus Christ. And that's why we can have joy if you have that peace. Because it's that peace that surpasses all understanding. It's that peace that no matter what happens in this life, no matter if you have a cancer diagnosis, no matter if you know, your life is on the line, no matter if you don't have a job right now, no matter if you're struggling with your family, you're dealing with chronic pains, none of that matters because at the end of the day, we can have peace with God. We can have joy knowing how it all ends with us in eternity, and we can be at peace with that, praise God for the joy that we can have because of the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ. There was this artist that was hired by a, a wealthy man to, um, to paint a, a picture of peace on a canvas. And so the wealthy man told him, I need you to paint a picture of, of peace. And gave him no other instruction other than that. You're, you're the artist. You're creative. Make it, make it happen. And so this, this artist went back and he took his canvas and he painted on the canvas, he painted this nice sunset and nice water, this calm, uh, calm view of, of being at the ocean. And he said, this is peace. He took it back to the wealthy man and he said, this isn't it. Do it over again. I said, Okay. Still didn't give him any instructions, so the artist took it back, and he, he thought of another idea of peace, and he put a, a, a campfire out there, and he put a, a whole bunch of people around a campfire, kind of laid back, relaxing, having a good time, looking up at the stars in the sky, and it was a beautiful, uh, a peaceful environment, so he thought. He took it back to the wealthy man, and the wealthy man said, this isn't it. Try it again. So the guy goes back, and he, he starts to paint another picture of peace, and he paints, he paints this bird, and then all of a sudden, he just got frustrated. Frustrated that this guy is not giving him more context to what he wants, but yet he keeps telling him to do more, do more, do more. And so he immediately stopped with the painting of the bird, and he started to paint this whole catastrophic storm. But he had painted the bird, so he didn't want to mark it out. So he left the bird there. He covered the bird with rock, and he painted this catastrophic storm, and he gave it to the wealthy guy and said, here, I'm done. And the wealthy guy said, that's it. And he was so confused, he said, what do you mean that's it? He's like, this is it. This is peace. This is what I was looking for. And the whole point in time, it wasn't the storms. It wasn't the catastrophic storms. It was that little bird that was there. It was that little bird that was there that was covered by the rocks. And he was singing a song. He, he was whistling. And he said, that's peace. Peace is no matter whatever is going on around you, you got coverage by the blood of Christ. And you and I need to remember that, that Christ's blood covers us from the ever-present hostility that we face with other people that are me-centered. It also covers us from the hostility that we face before God. And he's given us a new community. With the same covering, other believers are, are a part of that as well. And we need to be more grateful for that. We need to see the gift that it is, the blessing that it is that you and I can sit here as a body of believers and say amen to Jesus Christ because of what he's done. And we should be grateful for the peace that we have now and the peace that we're going to have in Christ as we stand before God on Judgment Day. Let's look forward to that day and be grateful for the peace that we have because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for that peace, that peace that we can only receive through Christ. We know that our world is constantly searching, trying to find peace on their own, but we can know and have faith and trust that you have provided that in only one way, through Jesus Christ and his blood. Thank you for allowing us to see that, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to know that. And thank you for the body of believers, this new community in Christ that we can be encouraged by, we can be strengthened by, we can be motivated by. And that we can encourage other men that are around us that are right here in this room to go excel still more through this new community that we have been given through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us to be more excited for that. Help us to pray for those that are not part of this community, knowing that it was only by your grace that you took us from where we once were to where we are now. And, Lord, may we be the reason that you use and the instrument that you use to bring many others to a saving knowledge of you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.